All right, let's pray. Jesus, just um, just as the team prayed before, um, as we pray always, just pray that you would be lifted up in this time as we're taking a look at this book of Ruth. We thank you for this book of Ruth. Holy Spirit, we, have, we so appreciate and love that you saw fit to write this book, um, to use uh, Ruth, the woman, um, in the Old Testament as, as we study and, and her family and her situation and her faith to minister to us even now. And so we just um, come before you excited for what you have for us. Um, just, Jesus, as we, as we take a look around the nation, um, mindful of, of some of the, the trials that we're going through that are maybe just exploding now, but these are, these are sins that have plagued our country for decades and decades. Um, and, and tonight, as we take a look at this concept of refuge, um, I, I pray that, that more and more people in this nation and around the world would find refuge in you, not refuge in um, their bigotry, not refuge in their anger, not refuge in their, um, their selves, but find refuge um, not only from the oppressors, but, but those of us that would do oppressing at times, that we would find our refuge in you and, and treat others as you have so graciously treated us um, with this invitation to be a part of the greatest love story on the planet. And so I just uh, am mindful of those that are hurting, pray for the families involved, um, everyone involved on, on both sides of, of all these incidents. Um, just pray for a breaking of the hearts of, of those who know you, um, to break them even further, and for those who don't, to break them, um, and to see that, that you are a God, first and foremost, of, of grace and truth and love and compassion. And so we just pray that your spirit would be poured out, not just on this nation, but on all around the globe um, as we struggle to continue to seemingly truck through a broken um, world. It's always been broken, but at times it just seems so amplified. And so we just pray your peace upon um, our nation and other nations struggling. Um, again, ask for your blessing on this time of study. Enable me to teach. Enable those that are here and myself to, to learn from you. Um, pray that you be high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the book of Ruth, and as we took a look at last week, I, I think I maybe laid out somewhat of a case that, that even in the Old Testament, as you've heard us say time and time again, the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. Now, was his name involved in the Old Testament? No, but was Jesus there to be sure? He was in Christophanies, he was in prophecy, he was in titles, he was in institutions, he was in the law, he was being shown, he even had, there was even times where, yes, heaven opened up and they saw God, and then the Bible says that you can't see the face of the Father, so who did people see when heaven opened up and they saw God, who did they see? They saw Jesus, he wasn't given that name yet, it was the Son of God, the second person in the triune God, and so Jesus has always been, will always be and in the, whole, in, in, in the Old Testament, we see that, that the times and the stories, even down to the stories, the institutions and the law and the prophecy and the Christophanies, even down to the stories, were a foreshadowing of the greater story. They were pointing forward to a greater story. They were pointing forward to the greater king. They were pointing forward to the greater prophet. They were pointing forward to the greater priest. And we see in this book, which is a love story, we see that, that, and I implored us last week to not get as caught up. It's great to get caught up in the book. I'm not devaluing the book of the Bible. But I never want us to get caught up in this specific love story more so than we get caught up in the love story. 
the grand love story. And, and look, Zach and I were joking. I confessed. I'm like, look, I, I struggle with like the lovey-dovey side of God. So you're not shocked at that. If you've seen me a couple of times, you're like, you get so amped up about like revelation, right? Like super excited about like Jesus on a horse in a blood dipped robe. Okay. And I do, even in my own faith, I struggle with more of, I struggle with the more tender side of Jesus and the more tender side of God, the father, the more tender side of the Holy Spirit, the more tender books in the Bible, like Ruth. I do. I personally struggle. I identify with Romans, just like kick people in the teeth, right? Like this is how it is. I, I, I just, you guys know that about me. You're, there's not a single face here. It's like, really? I didn't know at all. I couldn't tell. You're, you know, weird, right? And so this is this love story, but I don't want us to get caught up in this specific love story as much as I want us to just simply see how God used it as a microcosm, a micro story pointing forward to the massive and up to the massive story that he was telling through the entirety of the gospel. And so I told you last week that I'm not going to wait until we meet Boaz, though we do this week, to show how the book of Ruth points to Jesus. Even in chapter one, where people are like, well, we're just, chapter one is just to you get us, okay, I gotta understand sort of stuff so we can get to Boaz and then talk about how Jesus is the greater Boaz. But if you were here last week, I'll do a quick recap, just kind of line by line. Um, we don't know who authored the book. We know that it was written during the time of Judges. It starts off by saying, in the days when the Judges ruled. And so the book of Judges shows what happens to God's people when they are disobedient. Ruth, by contradistinction, shows what happens when God's people are obedient and faithful. So it's this love story written during this time where Israel was going through massive, God's people, massive disobedience. The book of Judges says multiple times, at least four times, I think, that they did what was right in their own eyes. And I implored us last week to not be like, yeah, that's America. America does what's right. No, the, the, the implication today is the same as it was in the Old Testament. God's people did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges. We as Christians, no matter which country we reside in, begin to do what is right in our own eyes. We may be saved, but then we begin to pick it apart. Well, that word doesn't mean this. You know a Christian's on the run when he does a word study. Well, it actually doesn't mean homosexual. It means this. And, and we start to run and we start to do what's right in our own eyes, even within the church. So the call for us is for that, that perspective, that recalibration on the things of God, the pursuit of righteousness, not the avoidance of the law or the avoidance of sin, but the pursuit of righteousness. So we don't know the author. We know it was written during the days of Judges when it was an incredibly rebellious time. We met some characters. We met the husband, Elimelech. We met his wife, Naomi. We met their two sons, Mahlon and Chilion. We know that the family up and moved from Bethlehem, which was going through severe famine. Okay, so I want you to picture this. This is a story. This is historical fact, but it's also an amazing story. Family left. Famine struck Bethlehem, struck God's people where they were instructed to live in community, called to be a people, subject to God's judgment, okay? So God had called his people to be a people. This family said, forget that, tough times, we're out. We're gonna go find some place where it's easier. And so they went to the pagan land of Moab because of this famine. We see that Elimelech died, the husband died, Now the wife, Naomi, is widowed with her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives, 
Which is, again, this is an act of disobedience. God instructed them not to intermarry with pagans, not to intermarry with other tribes, other nations. Again, he was taking and protecting and guiding Israel through history to point to Jesus, to protect that bloodline so that that the Messiah would come exactly how God planned for him to come. And so he moved Israel through history just as he's moving through the church right now pointing to Jesus coming. But he moves them and he protects them and they marry outside of God's will for his people. So we see this disobedience. And so the sons took two Moabite wives. They took Oprah or Orpah and Ruth. Then the sons died. We know that they were there 10 years. We don't know how dad died. We don't know how the sons died. It very well could have been disease, famine, war. We know they ran from hard times. They likely didn't encounter much better times. This is the ancient days. They didn't have an ER that you could run to 24-7 in case of fast-acting disease. People ran out of food. War was rampant. And so the sons now die. And so you've got mom and two daughters-in-law. And what mom Naomi hears is that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And as you know, that's, that's the verse. I said, if you're going to highlight, you're going to circle one verse. I think it's verse six, right? Verse six in chapter one. That's the one for me. The whole, the whole chapter is about Jesus. For me, that's the biggest one when it says the Lord visited his people by giving them bread. And I unpacked that a little bit at the end of last week. It's online if you want to check it out. That, the, that a foreshadowing that the Lord would come to his people and give them bread. And I show you how Jesus said, look, I am the bread. I'm not just talking physical bread. I'm talking everything bread. I'm talking spiritual bread. I, I'm the only one that can fully satisfy you. And so we see that foreshadowing of Jesus, even in chapter one before Boaz, Everyone's focused on Boaz all the time. We're going to get to him. But even in that, there's that beautiful picture that the Lord would visit his people and give them bread. And that's what Jesus came and that's what he did. He said, I came from heaven and I am now the bread of life. And so this was, that was the foreshadowing of Jesus to come. And so Naomi hears that the Lord visits the people. It says, there's great, amazing things going on. And it's not that she was super, I don't want to paint that as like super selfish. Like she's just trying to run where all the fun is going on. Like, hey, it sucks here. Let's go there, right? She wanted to be back with God's people. She saw that God was pouring out blessing on people again. And I love that. I love for people that have run from the church. Maybe some of you have done this. I did it. Pastor's kids stopped going to church. Thought I was super rebellious in high school. I'm going to be the pastor's kid that doesn't go to church. I'm out, right? And then my life began to spiral. And I would see, in, in, even in a Christian home, I would see like the blessings, not that God was now causing wrath upon me, but my sin was finding me out and I was running. And I would see my siblings growing in the things of the Lord. I would see my parents growing in things of the Lord. I'd see our friends from church growing in things of the Lord. And I wasn't having any of that. It was so bitter outside of that. At some point, then I moved out to college. Actually, that's when college is when it all plummets, sociologically. You kind of maintain your parents' faith, college, Right? Then you kind of start to get back out. You get out into the real world. You get a job. You're like, all right, well, I think people should be good. Right? You get a paycheck, and then it skyrockets again when you have kids. Sociologically, that's the trend. And so I sort of bucked that trend just a little bit. I just plummeted in high school, said, screw all that. But then I got to college. I went to a Christian college. I went to Kalu. And all of a sudden, I was in Christian classes being taught by Christian pastors, being told everything opposite of the Bible. I'm sort of like, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now I found myself defending the faith, defending Christ, defending the Bible, right? 
And I wanted back in with God's people. Because I saw, I saw the flourishing. It doesn't mean nothing bad happens to Christians. I hope I didn't paint that last week at all or that any of you blog. It's like, well, if you're outside the will of God, it's, it's awful. But if you're inside the will of God, everything's great. No, because bad things happen even when you're inside the will of God. We know that. Paul got shipwrecked. Paul got beaten, stoned, right? If anyone you can think of, look at Job. Job was just getting whipped around, okay? Still in the will of God. Doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. But, they, but we just have this attraction back to the people of God. Why? Because that's where God resides, is with his people. From the garden to the tree of life in Revelation, we see that God pursues his people and he wants to be with his people. And so they fled, but now Naomi sees that some amazing things, bread has, and we don't even think that's amazing. We're like, they got carbs in Bethlehem, so now we go back? Like, it's not, it's, it's, I'm gluten-free, homie. Like, I don't go back for that, right? Like, but, but to get bread in the ancient times during famine was amazing that God was saying, look, I told you you wouldn't perish. He was chasing in them, but he wasn't going to allow them to perish. Naomi wants back under the provision of God for whatever, for whatever it is. She's down with it. She's run. She's witnessed and experienced life apart from God. She comes back and, and everyone is excited in the city. Little city, Bethlehem. Little city. She comes back and it says, everyone is excited. And she could have just said, look, check my Instagram. Everything was awesome while I was gone. But she came back. She goes, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because life outside, life apart from God, is bitter, even compared to life with God amidst famine. So she comes back, but you'll notice they don't refer to her as Mara. It was a self-imposed. God changes names in the Bible. You don't get to change your own, though. Right? And so she comes back and says, look, it's not pleasant out there. It's bitter. Some of you know that. You know, maybe you're there right now. You're like, I was in high school. We all come from different walks, different measures of faith, the Bible says. Maybe you're in that place right now. You've been running. Maybe you've kind of been dipping your toes back in. I'll do Sunday nights, right? Here, they're kind of weird. It's a young crowd and they have food, right? I guess kind of how I'll, I'll check the waters again. Maybe you've run. Maybe you've, maybe you've been coming to your church, but you know for a fact that you're actually running from God right now. You're just sitting here out of religiosity. You're sitting here because you think this saves you. That if I could just be in the church, now I'm, I'm protected, I'm safe, I'm good, I'm going to heaven. God calls you into something way more romantic than that. Way more powerful than that. And so Naomi wants back in. And she blesses and releases the daughters-in-law to go back to their homes. And they weep. And then she lays out a really good case why they should go. Go back to your homes. Go back to your parents. Go back to your gods. Go back and find husbands and have kids. She says, leave. And then they weep again. And Orpah goes. But it says Ruth clings to her. She clings to her mother-in-law. And then Ruth makes this radical claim of faith. You can look back in verse 1 after tonight. Go back if you weren't there last week. Go back if you were here last week and read it again. It was an amazing testimony, an amazing testament of faith. She comes out. She has now experienced being under God's wing, and she's not leaving. A pagan, idolatrous, Gentile woman says, I'm not leaving. I've had a taste of the goodness of God. I'm not going anywhere. Which is probably a testament to Naomi as a mother. She was probably an amazing mother. 
Ruth said, I'm not going anywhere. I've seen this faith played out and I want it to be mine. And so Orpah left. Ruth stayed, clung to her mother-in-law. They returned. The city was excited. Naomi says, it was not pleasant. Call me Mara. And we pick up in chapter 2. The love story continues. And as I said last week, I'm going to read every word in this entire book. Because it's a story. No one watches the notebook and skips a chapter. Ladies, am I right? Or is the notebook too old now? Shoot. What's the new modern love story? What's the new one? What's better than the notebook? First time I watched the notebook was in Iraq, by the way. A little awkward. <laughs> What's the new love story? What's the greatest love story on film? Casablanca? We can go old school. Casablanca? What is it? Notebook? Still notebook? Oh, man, I'm not too old yet. Thank goodness. I get to use this for a couple more years, probably. All right. Until the next Marvel comes out and it's super romantic or something? I don't know. So we're going to go through every word. It says this as it kicks off chapter 2. Read along with me. You got to read so you know I'm not making this stuff up. It says there was a relative. We don't know how they were related, but we do know that there was a relative. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she, being Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. Now this is actually something that was commanded in the Old Testament. I've got it right here. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 says this. When you reap the harvest, check this out. She says, let me go over to this field and pluck the grain. Now it's been harvested, so what's left? People are like, well, there must not be much left. It was actually commanded that farmers cut corners on purpose, right? You generally have square fields, right? But a, but a tractor or a plow and oxen would, would have to make a bend and turn around. It was actually prescribed by God that you simply, you cut corners so that there's these sections on the field that still have grain. They were also not allowed, if they dropped a bale, they, 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 said, they were just told, just don't pick it up, just leave it. For this reason, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your own vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This was a social assistance program in ancient Israel. Okay? And it was brilliant. It was orchestrated by God, but it was brilliant on, two, on both folds. So you can call it social assistance. You can call it social welfare for the poor, where the, the farmers would cut the corners. They would leave some fully intact for the poor and for the stranger to pick and to eat. Now, as I said, it was a social welfare program for the poor, which, which aggravated Republicans. Okay, But check this out. Check this out. The poor had to be active. They had to go out and work and actually get their own food, which really bugs the Democrats. Right? Just throw that, I thought I'd throw that in there. This was brilliant because it said, to the farmer, have a generous heart. But it said to the poor, you need to work to eat. Amazing. Terrific. So it was the social assistance program. And Ruth heads out and says, let me glean heads of grain. After him whose sight I may find favor. It says, then she left. Ruth took initiative. See what she's doing? She's going out to care for her mother. She's going out to support herself. 
She wasn't just going to sit at home. This is great. She wasn't just going to sit at home. Listen, she wasn't just, and I'm not devaluing prayer. She wasn't just going to sit at home and pray for support. She was going to be active in pursuing the things that God had left for her. And in God's plan, there was that allocation. And so her faith took action in this moment. She left. She left to provide for her mother-in-law. She left to provide for herself. She's now in an area. Look, I'm from Minneapolis. It'd be like you just being dropped into Minneapolis. You don't know a single person. They've got this thing called winter. They eat different food. They dress differently. Okay? It's just different. She is so far outside her bubble. And you've changed religions. You're in Minneapolis. And all of a sudden you're in a different church. Maybe even a different religion. She is completely ostracized. Completely outside of her bubble. And she takes action. Her faith pushes her out. And check this out. It says, Then she left and she went and gleaned the field after the reapers. It's not like a bunch of dead guys in robes or anything. These are people that would harvest the wheat. And she happened to come. She happened to. Okay, so she happened to. It wasn't purposed. She happened to. As God is leading her, she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. I love this. I love this. Now behold, Boaz, boss, Boaz, he's the boss. He's the, he's the filthy rich guy. Comes from Bethlehem and he says to the reapers, his servants, his workers, he says, the Lord be with you. And they answered him and said, the Lord bless you. Boaz was a good dude. Boaz was a good dude. Boaz was a good employer. Boaz cared for his workers. He nurtured them. He cared for them. He protected them. He provided for them. And you can see in their response, clearly they loved him. Clearly they loved him back. This was a great guy. This is the guy you want to work for. I I tell a lot of people now, I'm like 14 years into the secular work world and I, I do a fair amount of like career counseling. And I tell people, I don't, I wouldn't pick a job as much as you should pick a boss. And Carissa knows this, at the job I'm in right now, I did not want to go into it. I walked out of my last job, was unemployed for eight weeks. They gave me a, an amazing severance that luckily f- supported us. And I walked into this meeting of all the companies I applied to, dead last, did not care. Carissa will tell you after the service, you can check with her for the facts. I, I hadn't worked as a husband. I hadn't worked for eight weeks in California with a mortgage, with kids. Like, man, I and I had to tell myself, Mark, you have to go where you're not working. It's eight weeks. You're trying to get interviews. I don't want to work for this company. I don't want to work for this company. I don't want to. F- I come back, light on my feet. Carissa goes, What happens? I said, I want to work for that guy. So, what do you mean? I want to work for that guy. I don't even know what this company does yet. I haven't figured it out yet. It's weird. But I want to work for that guy. And I didn't even know this from the interview, but he's a Christian. He sits on the elder board at Malibu Presbyterian. He's got five kids, married to one woman his whole life. He's from Minneapolis. Yay, right? So it's like a lot. Of, I'm wearing a Minneapolis shirt, so it's a lot of just good stuff going on, okay? I, I, I wanted to pick a boss. Boaz was that guy. People came in, they're like, shoot, man, we got to go work another field. And they meet Boaz and like, I want to work in this field. I want to work in this field, Right? That's the kind of employer that you want to be, hopefully. That's the employer that you should hopefully be looking for. He loved his workers, and they loved him in return. Boaz was a good dude. That's the theological term, good dude, okay? He was a good dude. Lord be with you, and they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to a servant, this is verse 5, who was in charge of the reapers, so head reaper, whose young woman is this? 
So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. See, small town talk. Everyone knows. I told you the story about my cousin who's from Foreman, which is smaller and outside of Fargo. Everyone knows everything that everyone does every day of the week, right? I went to my cousins who lived in northern Minnesota, like in a farm town. They went to, went to their graduation. It was like 12 people. You imagine that? Every party, everyone attended, 100% full, right? Like you knew the ins and the outs of every single person in graduating class, 12 people, right? Most of us, it, most of us that we just can't even fathom, you know? Small town, everyone knew. It says, this is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, so she's saying, this is what Ruth said to me. Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. I mean, that's a little creepy, right? Like, like dude was like, and she took a nap, right? It's like, we're watching a little too close there, Mr. Head of Reapers, Right? But everyone knew, and they were actually quite impressed. But, but I love that she says that she's, please let me glean. She didn't quote Leviticus, like, you have to let me have this. She could have, right? She could have said, look, law states in Leviticus, you don't want to piss off God, do you? All right, I'm going to go grab some grain. You're going to have to deal with it. She wasn't like that. She had a heart of a servant. She had, she had properly, just, just very graciously asked if she could pull, if she could glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, and she rested a little in the house. She kindly asked for the right to gather in the field. Now, Ruth didn't know it. As I said, she was being inspected. She was being watched. They took note of her hard work, and it impressed Boaz. It impressed Boaz. So in verse 8, it says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, so he, he walks over, and he says to Ruth, and don't read this, because we know Boaz is a good dude. So don't read this as some people want to and make this out to be some hardcore anti-woman, right? You can't, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Right? Like, that's not Boaz. This is, this is Boaz, who, who is clearly already impressed with this woman. And he says, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? And he's, he's, he's just provoking. He's just, he's just, he's, he's getting a little bit more information. He says, do not go and glean in another field. This is the best news she's heard, right? This is not like you can't do anything, woman, because I said so. I'm Boaz the boss. He's got the best fields by all accounts. She says, he says, look, do not go and glean from another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. And he had female workers in the fields too. And they were the ones that sat off. They didn't generally reap. But what happened is that they were the ones that would create the bundles on the side. And so he says, stay with them. Now you're going to see a couple things, three things about Boaz's work or Boaz's fields that are so inviting that we're beginning to catch this glimpse of this, this gospel story from the ground, but how it's reflected in the entirety of the gospel from the air. And so we see right away that when he says, you be close to my young women, woman, Boaz knew that if Ruth stayed in the field, she would be blessed. The first thing with companionship, she's alone. She's an outsider, as we're going to see a little bit later. She's got no friends. She just showed up in town. Everyone was excited, and the mother-in-law was like, don't be excited. So she's quelled that. Now no one is excited, and she has to go out and find food. And he says, look, stay with, stay with these gals. You're going to have companionship here. And again, this is reflecting on the greater gospel. 
as we come into this covenant community with God, says, look, there's companionship. There's stuff that transcends all race, all creed, all, all ethnicity, all background, all church attendance, all past sins, everything. There's something that transcends, there's a companionship here where everyone is united. And he says, Ruth, you'll find companionship. Stay close to my young women. He says, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men? Those are always the troublemakers in every portion of history. The young men are the troublemakers. He says, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? He says, look, you'll receive protection when you work my fields. In this covenant community, you're going to have a whole new layer of protection. And he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from which the young men have drawn. He says, when you're in this community, you're going to receive refreshment. I don't know if you know this, but when you come into the covenant community, you're going to receive immediate companionship. And if you don't, let me and Zach know. If you don't, let Zach and myself know. Let a pastor know. Let's get you plugged into a quad. Let's get you plugged into a women's group. Let's get you plugged into Sunday morning service. Let's get you plugged into serving on a ministry. Let's get you into some of this, right? Now, if you're, if you're resistant to that, say, I don't have any companionship. Okay, well, how about this ministry? No. How about a quad? No. Okay, well, self-inflicted loneliness. Go for it, okay? But you need to know that companionship is offered in the covenant community. And it goes way beyond what you're doing right now, by the way. It goes way beyond this. This is a great start. This is a great scratch, but this is a very deep iceberg, and you're only seeing the tip of it. This is the only thing you interact with with the church. You're going to receive companionship. You're going to receive protection. Not only spiritual protection, you've got one more layer. You've got one more set of resources to go to. You've got pastoral access. You've got counseling access. You've got access to people that are in your field of work. You've got, you've got again, as I said, spiritual protection, physical protection. I'll beat up anyone. I don't care. Like, I'll just fight people, okay? Right? Like, I just want to offer that as a service, okay? Um, look, God says, look, you're, you're in protection. Now, it doesn't mean we can't stop all bad things from happening by any means. But as you're going to see, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go into a passage here um, pretty soon. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, but it's another added layer. It's one of the layers that God has set up as these protective layers. It starts as a kid. You've got a parental layer, which is actually you've got your mom above you, which is a protective layer. Above mom, you've got dad, who is a protective layer. Above dad is the church, which is a protective layer. Above the church is the authorities. Above the authorities is the government. Above, and it keeps going on all the way up into the Trinity, these protective layers that are established by God to protect the vulnerable. And so he says, you come into this covenant community, you're going to receive companionship, but you're also going to receive protection. The men will not touch you, and you're also going to receive refreshment. I pray that this is refreshing. I pray that the covenant community is refreshing. I pray that our church is doing that as a service to you, that we are shepherding you in a way that is refreshing, that it's different from the outside world. It doesn't mean that we get to seclude ourselves from the outside world, but it certainly looks a little different. Why? Because we're practicing for eternity here should be a little different, right? We should actually live a little different. Why? Because we're practicing for eternity. But I, I pray that this is a refreshing time for you. We all know the world begins to weigh. It begins to weigh heavy and it begins to weigh fast. But I pray when you come here, and, and, and one of the greatest things that Zach and I can do is not make it about you. We can make it about Jesus, and that should refresh you. Because in 
all of the world religions, in every single one, I can show you, give me one, every single religion on the planet must, must, must base its theology on what you can do for God. It must. It must. And there is no refreshment in that. That is a treadmill, that is a hamster wheel that you will never get off. Only here is to say everything past, present, and future has been put on Jesus and crushed. And so I pray for a refreshing when you come to this church, other churches, if you're in this Christian community in your quads with your friends, that that should be a refreshing time. And here's the question, if it's not, why don't you start doing some refreshing? Those who refresh, the Bible says, will be refreshed. Pour into people. Give them a refreshing view of what it means to be a Christian walking the faith in 2016 in America, California nonetheless. Boaz says, you come here for, I'll give you companionship, I'll give you protection, I'll give you refreshment. These are the fields that you want to walk, work in. And he says, don't go to any other one. And look at verse 10, her response. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to them, why have I found favor in your eyes? This is big, like my heart's starting to race. This is big. I'll tell you why, because this is a, this is a gospel-centered focus. This is a gospel-centered mind. This is a gospel-centered response. This is a gospel-centered perspective. She says, why have you found anything good in me? She didn't say, it's about time someone recognized all the good stuff I've been doing. It's about time God understood that on the whole balance, I'm like 51% good. I've been good most of the time. Why doesn't he recognize that? It's this idea that it's like, some people say this all the time. They're like, why would God send anyone to hell? People that don't understand the gospel have a flip question. Why would he send anyone to heaven? Why any of us at all? The Bible says one sin separates you from a holy and perfect God. One sin. You can't walk into the presence of perfection with even one sin. How many times does a good man sin in a day? Five? Seven? How long does a guy live these, year, these days? 80 years? Seven sins a day? 365 days a year? 80 times over? You're going to walk into heaven and be like, I was pretty good. I was all right. I didn't murder anyone. And then Jesus came along and said, if you've been angry at someone you've murdered, oh, shoot. Right? Got me. Right? He sets the bar higher, doesn't he? We've talked about that. Jesus didn't come and say, don't worry about the Old Testament. It's all good now. He's like, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. If you're angry, you've murdered. Oh, no. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. If you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why have I, why have you, why have I found favor in your eyes? She, it's not that she th- doesn't think, it's not that she thinks low of herself. She just doesn't think high of herself. It's like, I'm pretty awesome. No wonder you recognized me. Did you see how I picked that grain? Only took one nap, right? She's like, oh, I can't believe you see anything. That's, that's true. Like, and it, 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 we don't dwell in it as Christians, but, but that's why we wake up enamored. With, like, I can't believe that Jesus sees anything good in me because in me, that, that's in myself, dwells no good thing. Until we take off us and put on his cloak of righteousness, there is nothing good. We have nothing to offer. This is a gospel-centered approach already as she's being used to reflect the greater gospel moving forward. She's like, I can't believe you see anything good in me. He says, she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This was constantly on her mind. Especially early on, I was a foreigner. How many of you felt like that the first time you went into church? Man, these people are weird, right? 
these guys are goofy. Like, church is bizarre. Like, do I have to do all that weird? Is that really blood? Like, do they believe that? Because I ain't into that. Like, there's a lot of vampire movies. I'm just not down with it recently, right? I don't care which team I'm on. I'm not doing the vampire thing, okay? Four girls got that joke, okay? And so it's like, talk about how this is the body, right? Church is different, man. They're talking, using weird language. I'm blessed. I'm oh, gracious. God, peace be with you. And people are like, Where? where's the coffee, <laughs> right? Like, where's the donuts, right? Did you feel a little bit, when you came out, here's the good news. Everyone that comes into the church was at one point a foreigner. The Bible says all people, children of wrath. Pastor's kid. Didn't mean I was like local. Still a foreigner until I was saved. And I think I've shared my testimony. I don't know when I was saved. Grew up in the church. But I've run. I've left. I've come back. I know what it's like to feel like a foreigner. You're in good company. Right? Raise your hand if you're Jewish. Like ethnic Jew. Room full of Gentiles. No, I'm just kidding. You're fine. Room full of Gentiles, minus Carly. All of us. I'm Norwegian. Like, that doesn't get you anything in the Old Testament. Okay? Right? That's why you're so tan, clearly. Right? All of us foreigners. And this was on her mind. She said, I'm a foreigner. Verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me. Again, it's a little creepy, small town. It's been fully reported to me. Your napping schedule, okay? It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Now, if you're going to circle a verse, if you're going to highlight a verse, I would do verse 12. I would do verse 12. Some of you are like, really? Because he gives her some bread and like, I'm pretty sure that connects with like the miracle that Jesus did. I think that's too thin and I don't think it follows the redemptive story. Verse 12. And we'll come back to this. Man, I got a lot of Bible to get through. But let's read. She says this in verse 12. This is intense. It says, the, or, or he says, Boaz says, the Lord repay you your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. Under his wings. Psalm 17, 8 through 9 says, Keep me as an apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. Psalm 63, 7. Because you have been my help. Therefore, how many of you see God as help? And he refers to the Holy Spirit as helper, by the way, ladies. That's why when he calls you helper in the original creation account, that's not a derogatory term. Like, you're just a helper. It's a divine term. That you get to help your husbands is a foreshadowing of what the, the Holy Spirit would do for those whom he indwelled in. But how, how many of us think of God as help? Not a cosmic genie, but help. Like, do you... Do you like God is on my side, but do you believe that? Seriously, do you do you do you do you walk forward in faith like like the God of the universe is actually helping you, or is it like are you just walking on eggshells, tr- not trying to screw up? How how honest honestly how have we reduced the Christian walk to just simply walking on eggshells and hoping we don't screw up? We've made it about not crossing lines rather than pursuing the God who loves. How far can I? You know this from youth ministry. What's the number one youth? question asked how far can i go with my girlfriend right it is how far we just everyone just wants to how far can i go with alcohol 
What about cigarettes? Not sure. What about weed? I'm not sure about that. Right? We just, we just, everyone just wants, li- where's the line on this? How far is too far? Like, that's not even a conversation about pursuing righteousness. It's a conversation about avoiding sin. That's what we've reduced it to. Have we thought of our, have we thought of our God and Savior as, as help? God, help me? Lord, help me? How, how do I combat sin? I don't know, ask for help? Seems too simple. <laughs> Amazing, right? It's crazy. If only God wrote a book about this stuff, okay? He's, he says, look, you've been my help. Can you say that in your faith walk? Would you just say, man, I've just, God's just helped me. Some of you can, I, I know, praise Jesus. But I think a lot of us don't think of him as help. We think of him as, as cosmic, right, judge. Don't do that, do this. Psalm 63, 7, again, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. It says, the Lord repay your work, a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Refuge is simply a condition of being safe or sheltered. Being safe or sheltered. Do you feel safe in your faith? Not safe in a way like you don't have to do anything or you'll be free from all harm that the world would possibly impose on you. But do you feel safe? When Zach and I say it's been secured, it's finished, when Jesus himself said it's finished, do you believe that? Or do you still think there is something you can do to make God either love you more or something wrong you can do that would cause him to love you less? I'm here to tell you right now, there is not a single thing you can do to cause God to love you any more or any less than he already does. He's tapped. He's completely maxed out on his love for you, and he will not relent. There's nothing you do that could cause him to love you anymore because he's already completely maxed, and he's God. I don't even know what that looks like, but I can't wait to. I can't wait to see what max effort from God looks like. And we get a taste of that now, and there's nothing I can do that would cause him to pull it back to like, well, 99% today after that shenanigan. There's nothing. Do you feel safe in that? Do you feel under his care, under his wing? It says refuge. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. There it is again, help in trouble. Do you run to him first or do you text a pastor? It's not wrong to text a pastor. But if we're doing our jobs, we're like, how's your, how's your conversation with Jesus gone about this so far? What do you mean? I'm not your first line of defense, and I'm certainly not the most powerful one. Zach's a I mean, Pastor Brett's a huge dude, way bigger shoulders than me. He's not even your first line of defense. You've got the God of the universe. And we go right to, a, we go right to our friend, we go right to chat, we go right to text, we even go right to a pastor. It's not wrong. We want community. We love, preach, care for community, right? But are you first and foremost going to the God who creates you and loves you and cares for you beyond your wildest dreams? This is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though mountains shake with its swelling. Proverbs 14, 26 says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And it's not fear, it's not scared. I was explaining to this someone last week. Was it you, Jackie? Were we talking about fear? No, maybe not. I was talking with someone else. They said, but, but fearing God, how do, we, how do we reconcile that? It's a healthy feel, fear. 
It's, if my boys were in here and I said, Ethan and Asher, they would stop. They would be arrested, right? They, they, they just know that, that daddy has a, a certain level of power, right? And they're not afraid, never abuse them. They're not afraid of me. But when they stop, they're arrested. When I call their names, they stop. They're, they're arrested, right? That's a healthy fear. The Bible says that, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts, it's not a scary fear. It's this healthy awe for who he is. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Isaiah 25, 4. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat for the blast of the terrible ones is a storm. I, I think another, uh, a better translation of that says a blast. I think the rain from the terrible ones is like a storm against the wall. God says in this community, and this is for the non-believers here, this is an invitation. For the believers here, this is a reassurance that God calls us to a covenant community under his wing, which he'll give you companionship and protection and refreshment under his wing, we will find refuge from all the chaos. Doesn't mean we remove ourselves, we hole up, move to Montana, build walls, and don't pay taxes. Right? We don't, not that we've thought about that at all. Okay? All right? But it doesn't mean that we get to seclude ourselves from the world. But it does say in the grand story, the grand scheme of things, covered, protected for eternity. Let's continue. And we're actually going to go back to that just like we did last week. Verse 13, then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. You see this whole thing, she's being grafted into a community, being grafted in. We've studied this in Romans. Israel started the covenant and then now as, as, as Gentiles, minus Carly, right? We, we now get grafted in. They are, they are the trunk of this covenant and we are the branches and Roman Romans calls us, says, look, I'm not done with Israel. Don't, don't think because you're a branch that you don't rely on that trunk. His promises began with Israel, right? He'll still deal with them. We know that. But, but it says here that you're, you've treated me like one of your own. Welcome to God's community. You've treated me like, like what? He treats you how he now sees you. He treats you now through a lens of what Jesus has done, not what you've done. And he loves Jesus. He loves the Son, and when you put on his righteousness, you're grafted in. He sees you as one of his. And so Ruth is experiencing this. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, and this is where people are like, oh, this is like Jesus performing a miracle. I'm not downplaying that. I just think it's thin. And I don't think it really follows the redemptive story of Ruth. But certainly, did Jesus come and, and provide bread and pour out um, in miracle? Yeah, to be sure. Now Boaz said to her in mealtime, come here. Now this may be, hey, look, I told you it's a love story. Some of you are like, this is not very romantic. This could, be, this could be the start of some romantic stuff, okay? In case you were like, right? Getting all ready for that, right? Okay? I've taught through Hosea, too. Different romantic love story, right? It's prostitutes and weird, okay, right? And so now and some of you are going to go home and read Hosea tonight. It's good that you're reading your Bible, at least. But yeah, God tells a prophet to marry a, a prostitute, okay? All right, and so some of you don't believe me, okay? I don't know what book you're reading, what Bible you're reading. It's way more interesting than you think, okay? And so now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. This is like early flirting techniques. It's like, hey, 
hey, sweetie, this, don't take this weird. I'm just, why don't you dip your piece of bread in the vinegar, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so you're going way too far with it, but hey, love story, okay? It's a notebook, okay? Early, he said, hey, bring that piece of bread over here, that little bowl of vinegar. That's the good stuff. He says, have a taste of life with me, right? Have a taste of how sweet. Jesus came and he said, I'm not here to give you, I'm here to give you life and life more what? It's not just bread. Just don't sit at the end of the corner and get bread. He says, come over here. I'll give you life more abundant. He says, you eat like a king now. And so he says, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. See, ladies, you all been doing this for thousands of years. Guys, you take a lady out to a first date, what does she do? Does she finish her, date? She finish her meal? Usually not. Or is that old school? Is that passe? Girls, like, you terrorize food now, right? What is that? You're like, you over that? All right, well, that used to be a thing, okay? That used to be a thing, like, don't finish your meal. In front, like, you know, moms would tell daughter, like, don't finish your meal. Don't seem like you're super hungry or anything like that. Just kind of leave a little food. Now girls are just, like, Instagram snapping it, like, destroyed, right? Like, okay. All right, I get it. Whatever. Um, so she kept some back. She didn't want to seem greedy. I, she, she appreciated it, but didn't want to seem a little overzealous. Like, oh, vinegar, right? Like, geofilter. Okay. Zooming in and zooming out. Vinegar, got the good seat. Okay. Only the Snapchat users got that one, so. <laughs> Verse 15. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. That's the stuff that's already been gathered. It says, look, she can have the stockpile. She can have the good stuff. It's, it, it's on. Boaz is enthralled with this girl. She's dipped her bread in his vinegar. It's game on. It's romance. Here we go. Okay. Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Verse 16. And let grain, I'll just read to the end. And let grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. See that? Little love. Okay, I told you I was just going to read through. Okay, see that? He's just like, hey, yo, drop some stuff for her out there. (laughs) Right? Like, all right, you guys don't see this as funny as me. All right, that's terrible. Okay. Work on that with Jesus, because I think this book's hilarious. And he says, so leave some purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. Verse 17, so she gleaned the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ipha of, of barley. I looked it up, it's about five and a half gallons, which is amazing if you're starving. And it's amazing if it's just you and your mother-in-law. Then she took it up and went to, into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She, and she, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back. After she had been satisfied, and her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name whom I worked today, with whom I worked today, is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours. One of our close relatives, Ruth the Moabite, said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out. This is a classic mother-in-law, like, stay with that guy. Drives a Benz, <laughs> right? Like, okay, he's doing all right. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It was good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women. 
and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. If you want to look back to verse 12, I want to go back to that just as we went back to 6, and then we'll close. It says, The Lord repay you your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. Wings and refuge, Psalm 57, 1, 3 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Do you feel that way? Do we meditate on that when the news comes out? came out again today. Until these calamities have passed, I will cry out to the God most high, to whom or to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Verse 12, I would say, is, is one of the cruxes and one of the main reasons that chapter 2 points to Jesus. What we just witnessed is Ruth, a pagan means she was a non-Jew. Idolatrous means she worshipped other th- things other than the living God, which we've all done, Christian and non-Christian. We've all put things on Jesus' throne that are not Jesus. And she was a Gentile. And we see her come under the wings of the one true God. Now, many more among the nations would do the same, but this is interesting. But not before God's own people would reject coming under his wing. Jesus in Matthew 23, 37 said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, God was moving the nation of Israel through the Old Testament to the point to point to the coming Christ. Jesus came. They rejected. And in that rejection now, we're going to see the door of opportunity for all. In the midst of Israel's rejection, which God will deal with, Romans 11, their rejection is not final. But in that, we're going to see that even amid the cross, this opportunity for us all to be grafted in as pagan Gentiles who have been idolatrizing our entire lives, we're going to see that we now have this invitation to be grafted in Israel's rejection of Jesus, including his atoning death on the cross. Open the door for the nations to come under his wing of protection from God's wrath. John 10, 22 through 30. Listen to this. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? People say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Here's one more of like the 30 references I can give you. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered him, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. The whole Old Testament's been about Jesus. All the miracles, the whole New Testament is about Jesus. Everything is coming to Jesus. It says, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Here's the part, refuge. Refuge. If you're a believer here, 
and you've struggled with security as we all struggle with security in our faith. Here it is. I want you to be so restful in this tonight. He says, and I give them eternal life. Oh, I'm sorry. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And Jesus says this, and I give them, that's the church. If you have placed your faith in Christ tonight, Jesus says this to you. In the fullness of force of the creator God, he says, and I give them eternal life. If you believe in your heart, confess your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And Jesus says, I will give them eternal life. You haven't earned it, I will give it to you and they shall never perish. Never. He goes further. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I'll never lose a fight. That wasn't a fight. That was a sacrifice. And he says, I don't give, he said, no one takes my life. I'll give it to him. That wasn't a fight. Jesus says, if I've got you, I will never lose you. Entire churches are divided on how do we, when does he, but if we fall away, if we backslide, I'm going to tell you exactly what Jesus says. If he's got you, he'll never lose you. There's your refuge. You believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved. You have been saved. You will always be saved. Though you may run, you are locked under his wing as his, in his refuge. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And Jesus says this, I and my father are one. I and my father are one. And it says that we will be given our full reward. And I'll close on this. It's out of Ephesians. What is this full reward that we get in Jesus? This full reward. Ephesians 1, 3 through 15. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is in heaven. Not every earthly blessing, but every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he save you? Because of his will. Why does God love you? Because of his will. Because he gets to decide. the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. How many of you have ever used a gift card? Okay, you get a gift card, yes? I just got one for 10 bucks to iTunes, right? Now I go on iTunes and I do what with it? I use it, right? But who paid for it? Someone else. That's why it says redeem card. Does it not? Redeem gift card. What does that mean? It means someone owed money for what was going to take place in the future and someone else paid for it. Jesus knew all that would take place, past, present, future. He says, here's a gift card. On my account, I already paid for it all. That's redemption. Every time you click redeem gift card, I want you to think about Jesus. Every time. 
Just be careful about what music you're downloading. All right, and it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which may be abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in himself that if the dispensation of the fullness of the times his, he might gather together all things in Christ, both which is in heaven and on earth, in him, this is the covenant community, under the wings, in his refuge, It says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. That's your full reward. I'm not going to get a dollar from my folks. God bless them. I don't think they should leave a dollar for me. They should travel when my dad finally decides to stop working. Right? We have an amazing inheritance coming, and it's coming from God himself. It says, purposed together in himself, being predestined according to the purpose of his will, We have obtained an inheritance according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ shall be the praise of his glory. In him you have also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Ruth points to Jesus. It's an invitation for those of you who have never in your heart accepted Jesus, but long for the sort of, this covenant community that we've just touched the surface on tonight. And it's also a reassurance for those of you that have, that Jesus has won and he will not lose. We now, under his wing, the wings of the most gracious, loving God, have refuge from all calamity, in Christ, receiving our full reward, which is a clean slate before a holy God because it's now been his account placed on us. And when God looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ, you're perfect. Amen? Let's pray. God, just ask that um, that, that, that last point, if none, would ring true in the hearts of all those who are here tonight. That we are clean in you. Jesus said, it doesn't matter where we came from, how we ran, what we did when we were gone, or how we got back. Jesus, when we take off our robe of weakness and place on your robe of righteousness, we are seen and we are clean. And we thank you for this full reward that we do not deserve, that you gave us in the fullness of your grace, not only to experience what it's like to be under your wings and as, with you as a refuge now. But our inheritance would be that we would be with you under your wing, with you as our refuge forever. So I pray for those who haven't internalized that, that they would do so tonight, that this invitation would be open to those who haven't fully trusted Jesus, that when you say you take away the sins of the world, that you meant it. And for those who have professed a faith, I pray for a reassurance and the confidence and the security we have in you. Jesus, may we worship you now as you sit on a throne under your wing with you as our refuge, excited about our full reward because you are our reward. Jesus, we love you. We can't wait to see you again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship.